Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I cannot be better. I can't complain. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing great, Lance. And in this episode, we have a re- it's a really special episode. We recorded it live on Get Vocal the evening of October 8th, 2020, and we had Bruce Maitland join us. Bruce Maitland, of course, is the father of Brianna Maitland, who went missing on March 19th, 2004 from Montgomery, Vermont. She was 17 years old at the time. But Lance, October 8th was her birthday. She would be 34 at this point, Lance, and we were joined by another special guest on this episode, too. Yes, we were joined by a representative from Othram Labs, and if you've been following Brianna's case, you'll know that Othram Labs just received DNA from the Vermont State Police, which was taken from Brianna's disappearance site. So we're uh, just putting two and two together, something from her car, and they know that it was male, and the representative, David Mittelman, uh, joined us, and he was incredibly incredibly informative uh riveting the the chat room was going nuts as he was talking and it was uh, unbelievable to see somebody in his position talking about real developments in brianna's case and bruce is right there and and he's listening and really moving too i i know it was a lot of science and a lot of uh technical talk but it was really uh, a, a moving experience to see that happening with the father of a missing person and and him getting that information in real time. Yeah, I agree, Lance. It was really a remarkable moment um, watching watching those two uh, fine gentlemen uh, discuss that um, because it wasn't really known by Bruce or us that this was going to happen, that the Vermont State Police was going to uh, send DNA to Othram Labs and uh, David Middleman and Othram. They only work with uh, law enforcement, so it's not like we could say, hey, what about Maura Murray? Can we send you some stuff? That's, it has to come from law enforcement. Um, so that was really cool of the Vermont State Police to uh, send some DNA to get involved with this, uh, with Othram Labs. And just on an aside, check out everything that Othram's done in the meantime. They've been contributing to cases and contributing to the solution for these uh, cold cases uh, pretty much like once or twice a week. They'll they'll have some break or they're working on something. So this is huge for Brianna's case. It really is. It it could be uh, a it could be the difference actually, Lance. Um, if we're being honest, I mean that that might be too hopeful. To, uh, but and I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. But who knows. And uh, so you can check out their websites. One is authram.com. Another is dnasolves.com. Really impressive stuff. David's an impressive guy. And uh, and it's really great to talk to Bruce, too, on Brianna's birthday. And we know that Bruce doesn't really like to celebrate the day uh, that Brianna went missing. You know, I know that a lot of families, they memorialize that day, vigilize that day, right? But um, Bruce never really wanted to, and but but he doesn't mind discussing or celebrating Brianna's birthday. Right. He actually said that um, the word you use there was celebrate, and you and I both used that word during this conversation, and we backed up on it, and we said, well, we shouldn't use the word celebrate. And then towards the end of the hour that we uh, you know, were there with Bruce, he said, and, you know, it's okay to say celebrate because he wants you to celebrate Brianna's first 17 years. And he said that. And uh, it was really touching. So, yeah, it's okay to say, hey, we're here to celebrate Brianna's life as, as, as much as she had one. 
And in honor of Brianna's birthday, why don't you check out PIs for the Missing at investigationsforthemissing.org. And also check out what Authorum is doing at dnasolves.com. Thanks a lot, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Thursday night, 9 p.m. It's the Crawl Space Gossip Pod. How's it going? I'm Tim here tonight with Lance, as always. Lance, what's up? What is going on? We have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a little housekeeping to do, but um, everything's going great. You know, the, the, the church bells chimed the nine tolls for Thursday night, and that is the only night I'm really aware of. Uh, since we've been uh, doing this. Um, the other days are just a blur. Um, the, the small bit of housekeeping is a, a big round of applause for, for you, Tim. We weren't here last week, well, because Tim got himself uh, married over, um, over the weekend. So that's the uh, hiatus. And uh, yeah, we had to take a little bit of a break. So just wanted to give a little shout out to you and your, your new wife. It was a wonderful time. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, and and uh, obviously I didn't want to miss a Thursday night, but uh, we we did it this uh, this one time. And yeah, uh, the third <laughs> the Thursday night came, and and your wife's family was like, "No, we are we are doing this rehearsal dinner." And you said, "No, I'm going on get vocal, or there's no wedding." They strong armed me. <laughs> they strong armed you. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Jason, for the V coins. You can uh, donate some V coins. To us, I'm sure we will turn those V-Coins right around and send them right to PIs for the Missing because tonight is all about Brianna Maitland. And uh, I also want to mention, if you're watching this on Facebook, Twitter, or the YouTube, why don't you click the little link that accompanies this video and come over to GetVocal.com itself because you can interact with a whole chat room full of people here who are going to be like-minded they're going to have the, a lot of the similar thoughts as you. They want to talk about the case. There's a whole conversation going on. Dr. Shiloh's dad is in the chat room. Dr. Shiloh's dad is here, uh, which is which is insanely um, humbling. Uh, and I know if you're watching on Twitter or if you're watching on YouTube, it's very easy to watch on YouTube and any other Thursday night. Please do that. Please watch however you can. But if you have the ability to click over and come to Get Vocal to interact, like Tim said, the V-Coins get deposited and once those clear we will send that balance to private investigations for the missing that is the nonprofit that bruce maitland brianna maitland's father started he was kind enough to put us on the board um and and we will donate that so this is sort of an impromptu fundraiser also the shirts that tim and i are wearing the gossip pod shirts you can go to crawlspace-media.com Click on the little store link or the marketplace link, and in there you will find the Gossip Pod t-shirts. 100% of the revenue that comes in for these Gossip Pod t-shirts go towards private investigations for the missing. Lance, tonight is all about Brianna Maitland and uh, the, Bri- the, 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 the case of Brianna Maitland. We started covering on Crawl Space back in 2017. Um, we got introduced to this case by covering more Mari, obviously, and they went missing around the same time and around the same area. And when, once we finally w- we sort of opened our minds to that case, we were really accepted by um, Greg Overacker, private investigator, and Bruce Maitland, uh, Brianna's father. 
and it it was it was quite remarkable and they were really thankful for us uh talking about the case and and wanting to publicize it you know they they really just wanted it to shake the apple tree like we had done with missing Maura Murray right and i think that that is a big uh sticking point for anybody who has a missing loved one that information and that awareness is just rapidly falling down the priority ladder. And we say it all the time. I don't know how else to say it. You know, it's falling down the priority ladder. The awareness has to always maintain at a certain level or else people will just, they'll forget. I mean, the shit happens so fast nowadays. It's so easy to forget. There's so many tragic things that happen on a daily basis. So it's hard to keep that in you know, in in your in your uh, in your, in the scope of the things that you do on a day to day, in your day to day business. But tonight is about Brianna, and we try to make as many nights about Brianna as possible. Uh, you were right. We've we've worked with Greg, we've worked with Lou, and any opportunity we have to spread the word, to do a show, to you know, it doesn't even, it's not even breaking news. It's Brianna's birthday. We're going to talk about Brianna. We're going to go through the timeline. We're going to have a gentleman on who is, I think he's the CEO of the company Authorium Labs. And this company is a DNA laboratory and they are partnered with the Vermont State Police and they are taking evidence that was gathered from uh, Brianna's car, I believe. And they are using that to identify an, an unid- and a yet unidentified individual. I don't want to uh, get too deep into it because this guy is going to talk and he's going to be super interesting. Uh, we talked to him earlier and he's got an incredible energy. And this is the type of person that we want to bring to people's attention. We want to open people's eyes. He's right there. He just said, hi, everyone. His name is David Mittelman. There he is. There um, he is. Yeah, very cool. Uh, we will get into that. We spoke to him today, and what an impressive guy and uh, and company uh, and lab that Authram is. Um, can't wait to to get into that. And, and you know, if you follow uh, the Brianna Maitland case closely, then you probably have seen the news that came out uh, in the past week or so, or maybe a couple weeks, um, that the Vermont State Police had paired with Authram Labs to do this DNA uh, testing. So that is a great uh, a great step forward because this is DNA that needs to be tested and needs fresh eyes on. Lance, we have any other guests tonight? Did you want to start with the uh, with the timeline? But you just asked if we had any, any other guests. We do have Bruce. I think Bruce is in the chat. Okay, great. And Lou is here, and uh, I'm sure Greg is somewhere punching his computer. <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, we do want to mention that Brianna Maitland was born on this day, October eighth, in nineteen eighty six, and uh, she was from the Vermont area and went missing ultimately in in Montgomery, Vermont, in March of two thousand four, March nineteenth, two thousand four. We know uh, from talking to Bruce that he doesn't really like to celebrate or mm, celebrates a bad word, but to really commemorate the day of her disappearance, um, as, as some cases do. And he would rather uh, sort of commemorate her birthday. And so that I think that is one of the reasons why we're doing this tonight. And um, and really, I want to give a thank you to Jillian, too, because it was her idea um, to do this. And uh, and I I don't even look at the calendar sometimes. I don't know. what I don't know what's going on. But uh, but she looked at the calendar and saw that this Thursday aligned with Brianna Maitland's birthday. So uh, well done on that. I'm glad we can we could uh, pull this together to talk about Brianna Maitland tonight. I thought we established that this was my idea that Jillian stole. <laughs> 
All right. So, um, do you want to do you want to open up the uh, the boxes? Do you want to? Absolutely. Let's open up the boxes. I want to reiterate because the uh, the room just like blew up. Uh, probably doubled and a half since we opened. Uh, the night is for Brianna Maitland and. Bruce Maitland runs private investigations for the missing. They are always taking donations. So this is going to turn into an impromptu donation night, a fundraiser, if you will. Uh, Any V coins that are donated here tonight, we will donate to private investigations for the missing. And anyone who wants to buy a fine gossip pod t-shirt, the ones that Tim and I are wearing currently, all of the proceeds from that will go to private investigations for the missing. And he got that link right there, investigationsforthemissing.org. I'm so sorry I interrupted you. I'm putting myself on mute. And here is Mr. Bruce Maitland. So thank you for, for joining tonight. Um, I guess, I, how, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. This is kind of a sometimes a difficult day for me, but, uh, you know, I, I get through it. And I just, you know, want to thank you guys for, geez, all you've done and, and everything that, that's gone on since then. And it's, it's, it's been wonderful so far to uh to uh get to know you and uh to work with you thank you very much for allowing us to be a part of your mission with helping other families your mission with figuring out what happened to brianna and uh and also giving us the freedom to kind of speak not on your behalf but to be able to say this is bruce's organization this is his mission and this is what he wants to do for families um we're really humbled by that and I, I got I'm so I'm so sorry. I I love your home, by the way. You were on before and I was looking in the background and it looks so it looks so cozy. Well thank you, but uh, not all the ceiling looks that good around the house, so that's the best part. <laughs> well, uh Bruce, there is a whole community and a whole chat room here that is that is here tonight to to talk about Brianna and they they are here to support you and and this mission, the mission of private investigations for the missing. Uh, so I just wanted to, uh, I guess, introduce you to them. And uh, there's some some great people here in this chat room. Bruce, I, I we haven't gotten a chance to to ask you about this uh, this news with with this uh, Authorum Lab. Take us through, um, I guess, how this happened and how you became aware of this connection. Uh, the state police contacted me. And they told me just a little bit about what was going on in the advanced DNA in it. And we had a conversation about different aspects of it. And they wanted my permission to be able to go ahead with it. And I was like, heck yeah. Anytime we have an enhancement to anything that could, uh, you know, move the case through or, or be able to come up with something that we don't have is a great thing. For me. And this isn't something that is very common, or is it? When when they contacted you, were you surprised that this was happening? Uh, I guess kind of out of the blue? Yes, it was a complete surprise to me. I mean, that's always been a problem that there was never enough DNA collected that I'm aware of when the police initially went through the car and everything. Uh, very little samples were obtained. And that's the one thing... Uh, the police have told me that they, they certainly regretted and changed their policy that uh, any time a vehicle is involved in a missing person or an open case of any kind, uh, that vehicle will stay in a police impoundment yard until the case is solved. Because I think they were, weren't really aware at the time, as the rest of us, that you know just the advancements that have been made in DNA. So uh, I certainly regret, and as well as they do, that they don't 
still have the car to be able to go through and, and really do uh, pick up samples that uh, at the time, you know, it just, I guess, didn't contain enough DA and, and the advancement in techniques. So it, it, it's a huge loss, but it's just, it's kind of water over the dam. So. Yeah, because you're talking about something that was collected uh, originally back in 2004, so 16 years since since then. I, that so much has happened in this age, you know. There's been so many advancements, so I can imagine how surprising it would be to have somebody call you out of the blue like this to 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 give you this news that there is an actual way to do some extraction. Um, and we have the we have the gentleman here. I don't know. Do you want to pop him on now and? He can talk about the technique. Uh, just talking to him, his his passion just came right through on the phone. Um, I was inspired. I I feel I feel uh, I feel good. I'm happy that that it's in it's in their hands and they're working on it. Yeah, what, what struck me really, uh, what, what struck me in a really good way was that he seemed to get a a big uh, a big kick out of geeking out over DNA and and loving every aspect of the of the DNA process. Um, and he was very, he was very confident about his abilities, which was, um, something that is very rare, you know, for somebody to say, yeah, we can absolutely do this. We can, ab if you, we have a track record and if you want this, we can, we can absolutely make something like that happen. Um, so yeah, he, he's going to jump in here in a, in a, <laughs> in a minute. He just said better that DNA testing than this chat. <laughs> in Brianna's case, it seems like, I mean, from, from watching, just the news on a lot of other cases. I mean, it really comes down to, I mean, either someone has to come forward with some really vital direct information or DNA. It's really the only two avenues to ever solve in a case. And you just see it in the news over and over and over again, these older called by DNA. And it's often someone that's just anecdotal for me, but it just seems like it's someone that's completely off the rail uh, for a lot of these police cases that they just, you know, they were never looked at the right person. And, uh, you know, so who knows? I'm, I'm hopeful. I think I joined guys. I apologize. No, the, don't apologize. How's it going, David? Uh, welcome to the show. David Middleman of uh, Authram Labs. Uh, yeah, welcome. And I'm so glad we can um, we talk to you and, and sort of introduce you and Bruce. I think that's awesome. It's, it's very nice to meet you, Bruce. Yes, I'm pleased to see you too. And thank you for picking my daughter's cases. One that do, uh, did you do that yourself or did the state police? To the credit of the Virginia, uh, to, to the Vermont State Police, we um, we spoke with them and uh, and wanted to engage and help. And and they, they picked this as a case that was a priority for them. So um, they deserve full credit for, uh, for elevating your case uh, and, and asking us to look at that case first. That's the folks at uh, at BSP. Uh, that's that's amazing. And uh, and is it because of your track record that they they reached out to you? We've been we've been talking to them about a number of cases. We we actually are um, a coincidence that in this uh, beginning of the discussion, we had just announced helping uh, Fort Worth PD uh, solve a longstanding uh, case in Texas. It was the case of Carla Walker. And, and she was uh, murdered in 1974. So it was a 46 year old cold case. And, and amazingly, when uh, we helped uh, Fort Worth PD identify the person responsible, they were still alive. They were able to uh, grab him, confirm uh, that he was uh, you know, involved and he, he actually confessed to the homicide. So um, it was a good outcome. And I think that along with some of the other cases that we've been 
uh, announcing hopefully uh, gave them the confidence to give to give us a shot. Um, we, as I told you earlier, you know, before we, we really specialize in cases where there just isn't suitable evidence or the case has been deemed, um, I guess, intractable or unsolvable. And um, and I do I do want to caveat by saying, as I told uh, you all, that we we had just received we've just received evidence um, for from Vermont State Police. We I have not looked at it. I know nothing. And so the last thing I'd want to do is to tell anyone um, here or elsewhere that that we can do anything because I know nothing. I know absolutely no information. We just started, and and we cannot always solve um, every case. Obviously, that we work on, um, and we don't always ID every person that we try to ID. But, uh, but you know, from the case notes and the information they had sent us, uh, we were encouraged and, and we really want to give it a shot. And, um, and it fits the profile of other things that we've been able to accomplish. So, so we're very excited to get involved. But the last thing we want to do is oversell. We, we've not even opened up the box yet. So there's, there's some work to be done. And, and of course, we'll, um, we'll provide updates as law enforcement, you know, allows and, and so on. But, but I'm happy to answer questions uh, to anyone, uh, to you all or anybody about in general how the process works or anything you want to know about our company or, or DNA testing. You're a little bit humble. Uh, I know it's very uh, not we, we can't go and say that everything is 100 percent solvable and your company works on, uh, you know, 100 percent success rate. But when we talked to you today, uh, Tim and I were texting after and we're like, this guy is incredible. Because you're, the energy you brought to that conversation and your reference to past cases, it, it, was, it, it, it was inspiring. And, and it's, not, uh, it's a rare thing. We, we have people come to us all the time who say that they can do something and, and don't worry, this will be done. We, we can do this. And, and nothing happens. And, and, it, and it runs the gamut of all different uh, types of people, all different types of uh, industries that say that they can do something and it just doesn't work out. Um, I, I think you're even sitting in a lab right now, which is great. I'm, I'm still, yeah, I'm still at the lab. Um, I, we, we, we had, we had another case. Uh, we had another case break. Actually, you know, I, I got off the phone with you guys, and, and we got a phone call um, for from another uh, from another agency that uh, another case we have has uh, has been successfully confirmed. So, um, so we we stayed out late uh, to to basically write up the report. I have um I have another guy uh, from the lab, uh, Michael Vogan. He's in your list somewhere also uh dialed in and and he's the case manager for this case but yeah we we had a little bit of a late night tonight um we we we're, we're all in on this um I, I told you my my background is dna testing that's all i've ever done um I, I i started out during the human genome project in the 90s um was part of the team that helped put together the dna sequence for the first human being and have basically spent 25 years doing only DNA testing, primarily biomedical research and medicine. Um, the same is true for my team, by the way. It's a team of us. There's about 20 of us. Most of us have been doing DNA testing for over a decade, um, some of us a couple decades. My lab director and I met during the, the Human Genome Project. Um, Mike, Michael Vogan is in this chat, and I were, worked in previous ventures together in, um, in medicine. And so... Um, so we spent, uh, you know, we spent all this time developing DNA technology and watching this kind of new generation of sequencing, which is where you, you know, instead of just trying to like measure different DNA markers, which is how forensic testing works right now, just essentially read out all the markers. Um, we watched that transform medicine. Ten years ago, people said, I don't know if this is good enough for medicine. Now everyone in medicine uses it. And so 
Um, it was just a no-brainer. All of us decided, let's let's stop the medicine thing. There's plenty of people that are doing diagnostics. You can get a test on any street corner for any genetic illness you want. And and let's go do something where there isn't, uh, you know, there's there's not a genetic testing place in every street corner to go look at a cold case. And um, there has been some success and there's been different tools that have been used, but we basically got together a couple of years ago and we tried to picture what would forensic testing look like in the future. And in the future, it's going to be sequencing. You're going to grab all the markers, get all the information you can get. It's like Bruce said, like, why, why take a little bit from the car and then the car is gone? So the same is true from evidence. This evidence is usually very small in quantity, doesn't last forever. It degrades, it gets consumed by other testing. So the question is, when you get it, how do you get all the information you can get out of this DNA? Get it onto a computer. It's like it's like preserving a vinyl or a cassette tape and converting it to MP3. Get everything off of it while you can before it's unusable, and then and then and then use that to, to see if you can't assist law enforcement in solving a crime. So that's what we did. And so we envisioned the future, and then uh, we reverse engineered it. We basically brought it to now and decided to build from scratch. Uh, we have the only. Um, you know, sequencing facility in, uh, in the country that does this process evidence to answers. We're the only lab that goes evidence to answers for this process. Fully in-house, no, um, no outsourcing uh, to a friend of a friend. And, and because of that, we have some pretty wild, um, pretty wild parameters that we can accept. We can accept evidence that other folks will not accept. So I, I see there's a person that asked a question about DNA degradation. M most of our... Um, most of our, uh, our our work is insensitive to degradation. So we can take, you know, when you do CODIS testing, and cut me off if this is too technical, but when we do CODIS testing, when you do CODIS testing, you're, you're amplifying what's called STRs. There's these markers of DNA, and they span lots of DNA letters. And so when your DNA degrades, if it gets too tight, de degradation is basically the DNA is like this, and it just gets progressively smaller. And when it's too small, you can't really measure anything with it. The way we do our process, it doesn't matter what the size of the fragments are. We can get all of them. Um, so, so you know, we're, we're fairly insensitive to DNA degradation. That doesn't really matter to us. We work from quantities that nobody would work from. Um, you know, I, I'm very proud of the Carla Walker case, but I encourage folks, if they're interested, to go check out on our website, dnasolves.com, go check out the Rodney Johnson case. This is a wild case uh, from Snohomish County in Washington State. They had 0.2 nanograms left of DNA. It's about 20 cells worth of DNA, degraded, contaminated with bacteria because the homicide victim had been in the lake for six or seven years. And we were able to build a pristine profile and match them back to family. So um, that's that's why we invested in trying to build out a laboratory of our own. It's not just so we can say we have the only in-house lab, but it, it allows us to really push the limits of what we can get. And, and the other thing to note is, again, even if you have plenty of DNA, the, the, goal, the goal in forensics, the dream, should be to um, the dream should be to get as much information as you can from as little evidence as possible. I, I think I think the ultimate the ultimate secondary crime in a law enforcement investigation is to consume evidence completely because you just don't know what the future holds. You don't know if you're going to need it. So our goal is not to ID people, but it's to ID people using the minimum input possible. We do no medical testing. We do no research testing. We do nothing in this building. We don't even measure medical stuff. We all we do in this building is take evidence and produce identity-based information that helps law enforcement take an investigation that's stuck and just you know move it a little bit further. They do the work. They're the ones that are solving the case. We're just trying to get it like over the hump. And, and something else Bruce mentioned that I think is worth noting is that 
there are people that do terrible things in this world that are not like the movie star serial killers. They're people hiding in plain sight. The guy that uh, you know uh, that raped and murdered Carla Walker, he's an ordinary guy. He still lives a couple miles away from her house. He goes to church. He goes to the grocery store. Everybody was like, I, I, I know him. And, and they're all surprised. And so that's the problem is, as Bruce said, if, if someone doesn't come forward, then you're only left with DNA testing because it's not always, you know, some archetype of a of a supervillain that is responsible. There are ordinary people that do terrible things and hide in plain sight. And so, anyways, that's that's kind of uh, what we do in a nutshell. And uh, anyways, we went off on a little bit of a tangent, but. Well, no, I think this is great because this just shows your background, your uh, dedication to the entire process. Um, I, I wanted to go uh, unnoticed. Uh, that you you are literally a middleman between law enforcement and the evidence, and that is your last name, which I think is unbelievably amazing. I was born to do this. What can I say? <laughs> you were born to do it. Um, uh, in the uh, message area, we put the link for dnasolves.com. It's the Brianna Maitland link. Uh, and that is uh, the your, your goal there is to raise, I think it's five thousand dollars. Um, so if you click that, then you can you can give to that cause. Uh, I think it's a uh, one thousand eight hundred fifty dollars of the five thousand dollar goal has been raised so far. Um, what what does that money go towards? Um, so so there's a couple pro- couple steps in the process. Um, so the the first thing we ordinarily do is. So, so if we have actual evidence, we need to perform a DNA extraction. In this case, um, the, the Vermont State Police are providing us with a DNA extract. So what we'll be doing in this case is we'll be taking an extract of DNA. We're going to go through a QC process. So again, I don't, I don't want to burn evidence. So the way it works is we go through a QC process, and we're going to assess things like the quantity of DNA in our hands, the true quantity of DNA, the quality contamination that could arise from a non-human sources like bacteria, and then mixture. In a lot of cases, um, there are going to be mixtures in, in, in a crime scene sample. And when you have a CODIS test, the mixture is not that important as long as you have a really dominant, obvious, unknown. But mixtures can be uh, fatal, even in small amounts, in, in testing that involves genealogy. And the reason why, not to go off on a tangent, is that um, the whole principle of genealogy is that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm relating myself, for example, to Bruce based on how much trunks of DNA markers, how many DNA markers I share in common with Bruce. And if I start ruining or degrading that profile by putting in noise or I'm mixing in something, someone else that was in the DNA mixture, then I start building a genealogical profile that isn't going to match Bruce very well. And, and before you know it, it doesn't match him at all. And so the ultimate tragedy would be to build a profile, but for it to contain noise or, or garbage, and, and that would not allow you to um, then actually identify anyone that's important so to the investigation. So uh, the, the biggest issue in a genealogical search is a false negative, is that you just don't find anybody, or, or you match to the world, which is the same thing as not finding anyone. So back to the question you asked, there's the QC step to make sure that, number one, we can actually move forward, because we won't move forward if we can't. And then number two, that we have the right strategy because we have different strategies available to us. We can do something called enrichment. Um, I think that's fairly unique. I don't think anyone else does that right now. Or we can take, uh, like with Rodney Johnson, where he was, you know, was a, the sample had only a couple percent human in it. And we were able to enrich and kind of, you know, bring out just the human part so we could get enough human data to make an ID. If there's mixtures, we can deconvolute it, but we, we do the sequencing very differently for those kind of cases. So the next step, once we do QC and we have a game plan, is we do the actual sequencing. 
and the sequencing cost will vary depending on what I just mentioned. And then after sequencing, there's a lot of computer informatics to basically go in and take that data. Sequencing is unbiased and sensitive. It just looks at whatever it can find. From there, we got to prune out the stuff that's important. What do the genealogical databases care about? What other markers do other people have so that we can match against them? And so there's computer work to basically finesse and fine tune what people call the genealogical kit or genealogical profile. And then the, the next step after that is to then do uh, a genealogical search to start building out family trees, um, to start um, uh, putting together, uh, uh, you know, uh, triangulations of identity and to build out candidate lists. Um, additional work that you might do after that is uh, is, is target testing. Um, if, if someone, you know, when we, when we work with a doe, sometimes people say, I might be related to this person. So you can do additional testing that's a lot cheaper uh, to see if there may be a, a relationship or not. If, if the law enforcement has has, has gotten a, a DNA sample from somebody, we can target test. And so all, all these pieces glob together, um, you know, th this is basically what, what, what this kind of, uh, what this kind of fund will, will pay for. And then of course the, the work to essentially assemble a report. Um, if, if there's ever a prosecution, um, you know, there's the discovery report that has to be prepared in case uh, other folks want to look at it. So there's, there's just kind of a laundry list of things that require kind of human labor, um, software. And then, of course, the, the bulk of the cost is really the lab testing um, kind of dominates because it's not the cheapest way to do things, um, but, it, but it is the best way. Um, I would say if you were to, for example, think about in terms of dollar per solve, I would say it's the cheapest way to do things. And in fact, um, we are, in terms of private companies, we are right now the cheapest company, sometimes two times cheaper than any other private company um, even ones that are not using this method, the ones that are using kind of other methods, we still end up being about half the cost for law enforcement. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, um, it's an, it's an enviable sell that that we get to go to law enforcement and tell them that we can collect a lot more information and we'll never charge more. And we usually charge less than other vendors that they've worked with. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what this will be for. And, um, and then, like I said, you know, Every, every agency is different. Some like to update as you go. Some want to wait till the end. Um, we'll, we'll do everything we can, obviously, to keep people in communication um, about, uh, about where we are in, in the steps. But, but right now, you know, like I said, we, we haven't even started. So. Wow. Um, that, that's amazing. Great answer. Thank you so much. Uh, there's a question in the message area that uh, is asking, if, is there a concern with enrichment that you would get a false positive? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so just to be clear, what enrichment does, what enrichment does is in, in that process is we're, we're removing, we're basically removing the stuff that isn't human. So it's, it's not going to get a false positive because, you know, false positive would happen if you, um, you know, I assume what the person's asking is, is a, is a false positive where like, you know, the person is me, but I somehow identify Bruce. That, that wouldn't happen. I'm taking DNA. The DNA has non-human DNA in it. And I'm using a variety of strategies to remove the non-human part. And so, um, and I, I obviously can only identify humans. So um, if there's something else in the sample, you know, whether it's an animal, a plant, or bacteria, that gets pulled out. And the reason we do that is because um, in the best case scenario, it makes the process cheaper. Because when you sequence DNA, the sequencer doesn't care what DNA is in there. It'll sequence whatever's in there. And the second problem is that if the human part is too tiny... Um, then you, you just you'll be sequencing it forever over and over again you'll spend a hundred thousand dollars and you'll never really collect enough information if the amount that you need is always like 
less than a percent of the of the sample, you'll just be sequencing the same thing over and over again. And usually you exhaust the sample by then. That's why there's some cases where they'll tell you, sometimes labs will tell you they're they'll call it degradation, but they kind of mix it sometimes with contamination. They'll basically tell you this sample doesn't have enough human DNA to proceed. And those those are cases we love working. And and frankly, when we got started, we focused our attention on does because, um, and I think does are really important as well because does do not have a name. They've not been reunited to family. They, they also they also need to be reconnected at some point. And, and most of those does are skeletal remains. And I will tell you, like we, um, we, we excel at processing skeletal remains because they tend to be highly degraded and, and highly contaminated. And so they'll fail other traditional methods. Sometimes the reports will say there's no DNA, but there is DNA on it. It's just it's just DNA that's you know largely unsuitable for analysis. So, um, but anyways, good question. I think in genealogy, just so you guys know, I think you know when when you're when you, at least at the matching step, um, it's a lot more likely that you match. You don't match somebody that you will match someone by accident. So, like if you think about it, you take my DNA markers. If you randomly change some markers, the odds that I now match someone else are not very high. The odds that I lose all the relationships I'm supposed to have are very high because. You've essentially, uh, you know, uh, degraded my uh, uh, my my set of markers, and I no longer properly match my cousins. So I think I think that's an interesting interesting thing to to note is that there's a much higher chance of finding nothing, which is still bad. But if I had to do a search, I'd rather find nothing than find the wrong thing. So so I do like that this technique is is skewed towards false negative. The samples that come to you are the samples always delivered to you by law enforcement or do you t take samples from anybody like any individual our, our dream is to is to essentially democratize and distribute justice for everybody but um but i don't know how to do that outside of a law enforcement investigation so i could imagine maybe there's a path one day but you know you know how do i know that uh, that you're not uh, sending me a, a cigarette butt from your neighbor and you want to you know I, it just it seems like it opens up a whole bunch of you know, can of worms and other stuff. So I, I don't know the proper way. I don't know if there'll ever be a proper way, but I don't know the proper way to work with consumers. So um, so what we do now is we we basically limit our work. Like I said, we don't do research. We don't do medicine. We don't do really consumer work. Um, we've done some historical projects that leverage essentially a material that is basically forensic in nature, like almost ancient DNA. But we don't, um, we don't have a consumer uh, pipeline. What we do is, um, is we work in the context of a law enforcement investigation. Sometimes we work for organizations, uh, for-profit, non-profit, other labs. We work for other people um, that work on behalf of law enforcement. For example, we've got a, a really great thing going with the, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And I don't know if you saw Bruce, but they actually they actually shared um, our, our story on, um, on your daughter. They shared it um, on their main page. They, they, they rarely share anything there. It was on the main Facebook page for NCMEC. Um, which was really kind of them, um, and and they're they're oh, also no, reading, I I wasn't uh, aware of that. And yeah, it was, it was it was really awesome. So um, they they take they take a lot of pride and and they really care about all the cases that are on their list, and, and this is one of them. And you know they they reached out to me immediately when they knew that we were getting involved. So um, sometimes we'll work with an organization like NICMEC. Sometimes we'll work with a a private lab that already has the relationship with law enforcement, but they just don't have the equipment that we have. We have we have this giant, um, looks like a washing machine, giant piece of equipment that's a lot more expensive than a washing machine. And it can, it can sequence DNA with incredible sensitivity. And so, um, 
so yeah, so we, we work with a lot of different people, but it's always in the context of a law enforcement investigation. There's like a, an agency case number and so on. Um, the, the nearest thing to not being a law enforcement investigation would be, would be like a, like a, like I said, a, a historical case, but still usually we're working with like a medical examiner or a coroner. There's it's somehow within the public sector and some legal umbrella of some sort. And uh, Pi Rational asked another question here. Do you think that as more people sequence themselves, that matching will become easier? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, um, you know, I always tell people there's there's three ways you can make a difference if you don't want to be up here at the lab with me late at night in the middle of the week. And so the first way is you can spread the news on the case. I, I you know, again, like going back to Bruce's point about, you know, sometimes someone just says something. We had a case. This is a crazy case. We had a case. Um, law enforcement announced that they were going to send uh, DNA evidence to Othram. They never sent it. They just announced it. And then they described the case again. And believe it or not, someone that knew the person uh, recognized the details and called them and they solved the case. <laughs> so we did nothing at all. But but just talking about a case can sometimes uh, either provide tips or in this case, it actually solved the case. So, and I mean, that's the best possible outcome. There's there's like an estimated quarter of a million cold cases um, the National Institute of Justice calls it like a silent mass disaster. So there's there's just, you know, there's, there's plenty to work. It's great when one of them gets solved without a bunch of brute force effort. The second thing you can do is obviously, you know, support organizations such as Bruce's or, or I mean, there's a lot of organizations that work that kind of try to bring funding, not just to DNA testing. Um, that's what we that's what we do, because that's the only thing that we know how to do in our group. But there's a lot of aspects um, to getting the word out, to essentially marketing and, and advertising a case so people know about it. So, you know, the, the work that you guys do. So that's that's the other way you can help is you can always financially help somebody that is uh, working at some aspect of this case. And the third way you can help, coming to your point, is, um, you know, if, you, if you've done a consumer test, not necessarily sequencing, but if you've done one of those consumer tests with a commercial company, you can definitely contribute your data. We have a database called DNA Solves. The, the ours is only for law enforcement. It's not public, so there's nothing you can do there except for help law enforcement. There's, of course, everyone knows about GEDmatch. That one is like it's a hybrid model. You can opt in if you want to help law enforcement. If you just want to do genealogical research, you opt out. And so, so yeah, adding your data in is 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 incredible because sometimes the difference between a very long solve and a very short solve is just the ability to uh, to have enough matches. You you need enough matches on both sides of the family to really narrow in and triangulate someone. We've had cases where a distant cousin, you know, a third cousin has been the solution. We had an interesting case that we just solved. The brother was not opted in, but after we found the person, the brother wanted to confirm before law enforcement did the SDR testing, and he actually sent uh, us his consumer data, and he was a, a full sibling match. Had he consented, had he been opted in already, he would have been identified immediately. There's no genealogy when you find a brother. So, so that's a that's a cool example of how um, you know he he was not opted in, but once he put his data in, it became very obvious. There's no genealogy research when you find a brother to an unknown person. So, anyways, I definitely think it's powerful. Um, I would encourage um, folks that have missing family if they feel comfortable doing so. I definitely encourage them to share their data because you can get even the most uh, furthest out um furthest out relationship and, and 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 really make a difference this is in very big contrast to codis testing in codis testing you're measuring 20 markers right so codis is really good at confirming that you were at a crime scene and you can use codis to detect you know a parent sibling kind of relationship 
But what you can't do with CODIS is like, you know, figure out if, 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 for example, one of you guys is my cousin. And so when someone goes missing, STR testing is not bad, but it just, you know, unless the person missing is a direct relationship to someone in the database, you won't find them. In genealogy, you know, you could be a distant genetic cousin. We're all genetic cousins. You guys are all my genetic cousin. I just don't know if you're like my fourth cousin or my fifth cousin. We're all cousins. And so um, not the kind of family you'd necessarily have at Thanksgiving, but we're genetically related. And so any one of us, who knows what, you know, set of uh, unidentified remains, suspects in a, in a crime, who knows what group of folks that we might be able to help in unison with other people uh, reveal if we're able to, to put our data in. So anyways, um, I think that uh, I think that uh, you know it's a personal decision, but 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 I encourage folks to uh, to, to to do that if, if they feel comfortable. I'm 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 smiling because Lou said that he you remind him of Richard Dreyfus in Jaws, and I was thinking something the whole time. I'm like that's it. That's exactly who he reminds me. <laughs> is of. he concerned? Uh, is he concerned that these cold cases will be my white whale? they kind of are i guess and so let me just 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 to be clear if you opt in on GEDmatch, that makes it compatible with uh your work and with dnasolves.com yeah so we we utilize whatever um uh we can we can utilize uh whatever databases are available for law enforcement so um we 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 start with dna solves because it's our database we curate it and we have tools that you know um, automate and kind of simplify the analysis and matching process. So, but um, and so if you if you feel comfortable, then come to DNA Solves. Um, we, we don't expose any information publicly. It's you know, there's really no use reason to be there unless you just want to help an investigation. But um, but you do not have to do that. Just being able to opt in anywhere, you know, in a way that uh, is clear that you're okay with law enforcement looking at your data, will we'll make our way to you eventually. We definitely it, use all the tools available to us. By the way, I didn't mention that, but not every database search is free. And so, so another reason why we have to raise funds is even after everything else I mentioned, sometimes it costs money to search um, databases, and that, that needs to be accounted for as well. The custodian of the database will charge a fee to search it. And in the uh, situation that we're talking about now with uh, evidence that the Vermont State Police has delivered to you. You said you haven't opened the box yet. I mean, it's this new. You haven't opened the box yet. Yeah, what's your step-by-step process with this particular uh, case? You know, every case that comes to us, it, it, it arrives. It's either hand-delivered or it arrives by uh, by mail. And we it's pre-registered. You know, we don't want to just have, like, something arrive, you know, at our doorstep. We don't know what it's for. Um, so everything is pre-registered online using a system that we've built. And it's got a barcode. And so when it arrives, it gets scanned in. As soon as it's scanned in, there's a computer system company-wide that lets us, lets the important, uh, the relevant parties know that this package has arrived and has been logged. And we actually have an evidence room at our facility. It's not part of the lab. It's completely separate. It's a locked and, 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 and um, access-controlled evidence room like you'd see at a precinct. And, uh, and, and that's where it goes. And it just gets basically logged in. Now, Unrelated to that, and so we don't have visitors or, um, or or shipping folks like come through the lab. They go to this evidence room, and then unrelated to that, like on the next day or at the next cycle, lab personnel essentially come to the evidence window as as a law enforcement officer would do at their evidence room and checks out the item. And so something I didn't mention is that you know our entire process is end to end chain of custody. So so we start the chain of custody when the item arrives to the evidence room, and then it is checked in and checked out at every step. And we know which employee has it and what they're going to do with it. So 
your the item that we have came to the evidence room. It's already been checked out from the so it's been logged in. It's been checked out from the evidence room, and it is now in the lab. And I uh, I'm making an assumption. I haven't looked inside of it yet, but but the lab is at some some point of inspecting what's there. Uh, in this case, because it's not evidence and it's a work product, it's a DNA extract. Uh, the process is a lot simpler. We're just going to move straight to quantification, which means we will sample a small amount of what's in there and, and try to do an independent observation of those things that I told you about, quantity, quality, um, you know, contamination and mixture to see what, what the condition is. Does it match what we were told? And, and, and what is the best strategy for us to move forward? And as soon as we go through that process, and these are done in like batch, as soon as we go through that process, then we'll schedule it for a run. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in a forensic lab that won't happen, for example, in a regular lab. So, and I, and, I, and I stress to you guys, we don't do medical or research. The reason why is like in a research lab, when you have enough DNA extracts, you stick them onto the machine, you run it, you get the data and you return it to customers. But there are additional considerations. You have to take a lot of them uh, when you work in a forensic lab. And one of them, one of them in particular is that you never run unknown samples and known samples together. Right. You could imagine that that would be a bad idea. And so so also we run evidence that comes from a similar source. So, so DNA that comes from a similar source or tissue, we run those together. Like we, we, we combine things in such a way uh, so that on, on this given day, at this given time, we're working only with blood or only with this. And, and it's important. It, it improves the quality of the process. It makes it a lot slower, makes it a lot more kind of laborious, but we get better results. You know, not everything goes onto the sequencer equally. Not everything works the same way. And so we, we work really hard to match items that we're going to process so that we're running things of the same kind of quality uh, at the same time. And, 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 and we don't collect too much information from one item, but not enough from another item. So anyways, it's, it's actually quite boring. But, but, the, but the beauty of it is you don't have to see it happen. And you know that we've basically taken the best possible approach to match it with the right process and other set of DNA that we have to work that day and get it through. And so that's, that's basically where we're in right now. It's like, we need to essentially profile what was given to us and figure out um, when we're going to schedule it for a run. Wow. Damn. Okay. I didn't How do you know question. when you get a sample in like uh, that you're covering hundred uh, percent of the sample? Uh, do you have some kind of a process there? Yeah, we do. So, um, so we're getting a DNA extract, right? And you're asking like, how do we know we got enough information from it? Yeah, correct. Like if you get a sample, let's just say you have a sample that's uh, an inch square. So how do you know, I mean, how do you know you've covered that whole inch to, to do you have a like a uh, sampling process oh, or something okay. that leaves you assured that yes, you've made a, you haven't missed anything? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Okay, so you're saying if someone gives me, for example, a bone or a shirt or a piece of fabric, how do I know that I've properly looked at every every piece of it? So what we do is when we do, and I, I skipped over this, but when we do DNA extraction from original evidence, we uh, we don't do one extraction. We actually sample lots of different areas. Sometimes if it's like a piece of fabric, you'll see like stains. And so you know to sample uh, and swab different areas. And, and by the way, state labs do an excellent job at this right now. And, and so often they do this for us. But if we do it, we'll sample many areas. Um, if we're working with skeletal evidence, it's really important to run many extracts in parallel because um, sometimes one part of the bone might have a lot of bacteria on it. Another part may not have a lot at all. And so, so we, we sample uh, lots of pieces of the evidence a lot 
And we do it not just to make sure we don't miss anything, but we do it to also make sure that we uh, get a, a, an extract of DNA that is representative of what we're looking for, but in the best possible shape. So, so we've, we've many times had situations where we get three extracts that have the unknown DNA, but one of them just really stands out. It just, you know, it, and sometimes you don't know you're blind, but you're lucky enough that one of them really works well. So we definitely employ uh, an aggressive approach to do lots of extractions to make sure that we, we don't miss anything. Um, and then we retain the evidence and then we go through the process and, and you know, the way we know that we've uh, gotten enough markers is we actually measure. When we're done, we build what's called a library. It's, a, it's a, basically a molecular representation in a tube of all the little DNAs that are in there. And when we do the sequencing process, we check it. We look and we say, do we have enough markers? Do we have the minimum number of markers? And we have certain controls and other metrics built in. And we can say, has this process performed as it has previously performed for things that worked? And if we see anything that's off, we go back and do it again. That's what I'm saying. This can be a long process. We may sequence it twice. Or, you know, the other thing is sometimes we'll get a little bit of data, but we need more. So we go back and get more. One thing that's really cool about our kind of testing, and I don't think I've ever talked about this, is that with CODIS testing, it's, it's binary. Like you get a result, you don't get a result. If you get partial markers, you can't combine CODIS results. You can't run it twice and mush them together. The cool thing about DNA sequencing it's just like, imagine you have a dirty window and you're looking through it and you can kind of see something on the other end. Every time you sequence, it's like you're polishing the window and you can combine the data from sequencing over and over again. And so you never waste any of it. If you don't get enough data, you don't throw it away. You just go back and sequence it again and again and again. And eventually you polish the window until it's so clean, you can see right into it and you've got what you need. So, so there, there are some really cool advantages. That's why we use sequencing and we're kind of evangelists for the process. There's some really cool ways that we can um, that we can basically iteratively. It's not it's not like a hit or a miss. It's just like how much work do we have to do to get what we need? Now I will tell you again because I'm 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 super pumped about this as you guys can tell even late at night. But at the same time I don't want to oversell. If there's no DNA at the scene or the DNA is just fundamentally not enough, then there there, there are of course limits of detection. But the good news about this process is that I don't have to know that I got all of it. I just get what I can get. I look at it, is it not enough? I go back, I can do more extracts. I can do more sequencing. I have a lot of tools available to me. And because I have my own lab, I don't, I don't have to go keep buying new stuff from different vendors. I just go back to the lab. I'm like, look, you know, it's a, it did not reach the standard that we need. Let's do some more. And we try different things if we have to, until we've, until we've gotten the, the best picture we can get from the minimum amount of consumption of evidence. Whew, yes. <laughs> Color us impressed, uh, David. I feel like I just got another degree. It just gave me a <laughs> frame a, a new degree and hang it on my wall. All of you guys are now DNA technologists. <laughs> Perfect. See what happens? True Crime Thursday. Always wanted to be. Anything can happen. I, I, I just want to jump in and say one thing real quick. It's like on a serious note, I you know I know I know science can be sometimes boring, but it's um. Is, is so is so critical it's so critical to understand these issues because here's the thing if you approach it from an investigation point of view or i'm just going to go get a profile and throw it into a genealogy database those are critical aspects to this process but there's no genealogy if there's no data and there's no easy genealogy or even tractable genealogy if there's bad data so so i'm just saying like sometimes the media gets tired of the lab part but you got to remember like there's a little bit of extra effort on the lab side 
can speak wonders. You know, the genealogists and uh, and other groups that work with us, they they they're they're more often smiley than not smiley because they don't get back kits that have broken fragments and segments. I mean, talk to someone that does forensic genealogy for a living, and they'll tell you like it's it can be a pain. You see a lot of stuff, and it's like they look like a segment, but it broke because there's probably noise. A little bit of extra work on the lab side can can do miracles. Because once you're done with the lab, it's human labor. And that's 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 hard. It's hard. Being a genealogist is not easy. It's a lot of work to dig through that. And so set them up for success. Get the best data you can get. Don't don't ruin things by being a little bit, you know, uh, whether it's being a cheap or cutting a corner or using an easier technology. Do the best scientifically possible thing to get a profile and then set the genealogists and the investigators and, and everyone else loose. Well, it's amazing to hear that uh, your company is the company that this evidence is uh, in the hands of and very, uh, very comforting to to know that. Um, and Jason, uh, not to switch gears real quick, but um, Jason had a question for Bruce that I need to find. He basically said, um, seeing as it's Brianna's birthday, is there anything that you can... Um, I was just curious if Brianna had something that she'd like to do on her birthday that that uh, that you wanted to uh, tell us that you thought you could. He, he wanted to know if you could share that. Oh, I can't think of anything special. I mean, it was the us- the usual birthdays, you know, uh, candles and uh, you know unusual presents. But uh, Brianna was just uh, you know always always in the uh, always in the mood for a good party and to do something fun. So we often would just try to go out and do something fun on that day as a family. Very cool. Very cool. Wow. We, I didn't, I didn't think we were going to go, uh, and we've got an hour. That'll teach you to invite me. (laughs) Oh no, it's great. What that ended up doing was, um, I can't remember what number we started at on the DNA solves for Brianna, but, um, it looks like, it looks like you guys just gave like $200 to so you're two hundred dollars closer to the to the goal there so that's pretty cool thanks guys um i guess we had a little bit of trouble with the um get vocal v coin so if you did want to donate for this i think the most productive way you can donate is to go to that dna solves for brianna david i am just so happy that uh you uh, this connection's been made you know it's just it's it's been amazing to me and just after hearing uh, talk. It, it's uh, that's been amazing too. I, I appreciate it, and I uh, we're going to do everything we can to help. And I appreciate you uh, letting the law enforcement uh, take a chance on this. And you know, thanks, thanks for the chance. Wow. Well, this is uh, this has been incredible. Um, just just talking to you, David. Talking to you, Bruce, on Brianna's birthday, and uh, really kind of connecting the dots and and. I guess just exploring where this case is going and where the future of crime is going too, because this is all, all related, but I don't know. It's, it, we're 16 years later in, in Brianna Maitland's case. And, uh, as Bruce said, DNA is, is one of the, one of, one of the main hopes left, you know, for this. And obviously information is good. If anyone has any information, please submit that to the organization, to Bruce, to us, to the Vermont State Police. Let's get this done. This is a solvable case. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually curious what what happens when you run that evidence and and you get a result. I mean, it's not going to be one of those things where a name pops up on a screen. Uh, Where does that go after and and how does that even impact the case? You know, you know, I think so. There's an unknown, you know, what we were told by law enforcement. And I apologize because I got so excited. I didn't plug my computer in. But um, what we told uh, what we (laughs) what we were told by law enforcement is that there's an unknown male profile, right? So I, you know, this is the thing about DNA. I can return information about an identity, but, but I don't, I don't know why this profile was of interest um, other than it's unidentified. And um, they have not shared a lot of information with me, which frankly is a good thing because it's important to kind of keep so that what they know doesn't contaminate my process. And so it's very common for me not to know. And so I can't tell you why it's interesting to the investigation. I can assure you that the Vermont State Police have only tried this technique a few times and they are not, you know, you know, using it willy nilly. And so there must be a really good reason on their end why they're doing it. But um, uh, yeah, we will return identity information, but we will be at their mercy to understand how they will utilize that information. I, I do want to point out, this is really important because I think sometimes for like TV shows, it gets oversimplified. The, the end point of genealogy isn't necessarily to identify someone. So when we put in the Carla Walker evidence, and that's the case that we actually did ourselves, you know, we didn't, we didn't shake the genealogy box and a name popped out. If, if you guys looked at the affidavit, we identified a family, right? We identified parents and those parents had three uh, male children and genealogy cannot distinguish between siblings on the same generation, right? So it may be that if there's an only child and the tree's simple, you may end up with someone, but the goal is not to name somebody. The goal is to essentially, I, I like to think of genealogy more like pruning the family tree. When you start out and I take the sample that uh, the, the police have sent us, it could be anybody. And as I begin to collect information about DNA, I begin to say, well, it could be anyone except for all these people or these people. And you're essentially pruning down the family tree of all mankind until you're left with a very few number of candidates. And that's what you're giving back to law enforcement. You're saying it might be this family or it might be these couple people or it might be these two families. That's the information that a genealogist is really returning. You're not always returning like the name and number of somebody. So I just wanted to point that out. No, yeah, that's absolutely uh, a great thing to point out because I think a lot of people have this misconception that it is sort of like the CSI TV show that they have been watching for a long time and uh, you just hit a couple of keys and you triangulate something and then it comes up with a name and exactly what the person was doing on the night of. Uh, there is a there is a process there. Um, but I, I am curious, when you're running it, do you see the name? Like, w- would you see like an identity? Is that a dumb question? Of course, we'll get back. We'll get back identities. And our job is then to prepare a report that explains to law enforcement how we prune the trees down to some identities and we'll return those identities to law enforcement. So so like, again, speaking to our last announced case, the Carla Walker case, we identified someone. And um, and I got to tell you, these, you know, these detectives, they're they're just they're, they're amazing. They're amazing how they how they work. And uh, we we actually we figured out the identities of a few folks on July 4th. It was on Saturday. So I was a little nervous, but I called, I called the detective Jeff Bennett on Saturday. And I'm like, I'm really sorry to bug you on July 4th. He's like, what are you talking about? All I care about is this case. So it was, it was nice. And so then I told him, I said, we've, we've got, we've got these, we've got this family. And I tell him the family and he's like, it's interesting because I, I recognize that last name. 
And so I tell them these brothers, and one of those folks was actually somebody that was a person of interest 46 years ago. There wasn't enough reason to investigate him, but he happened to have purchased a weapon that matched a magazine that was left at the crime scene. And so all of, and, and there's magic because I didn't know that before. I, I just have something that comes up from DNA. All of a sudden it's on his list. Imagine our surprise. Both of us are like, that's very unusual. And and then and then through additional refinement on our end, on their end, additional confirmation testing, they realize this was a person. And again, he goes on to get arrested. So so it's it's us providing identity clues and information that then steers them in combination with all the evidence they have. But you don't want to make a case just on DNA. And the next thing you know it, you have the beginnings of a story and they go investigate it. And that's why I told you in the beginning, the solve of a case is done by law enforcement. Um, all, all we do is sit in a vacuum and produce identity information from DNA, which becomes many one of the many things that feed into the investigation to help them solve it. So, okay. but so, said that we can get DNA from, you know, like I said, just, you know, I mean, nowadays, you know, we're, we've, we've run cases from touch DNA. Someone touches an object, and if there's not a whole lot of other people that touched it, we can do some some cool stuff with it. So, so the the Vermont State Police actually said to you that this was from an unidentified male. My my yeah. The, the only information I have is that there is an unidentified male. Uh, there's DNA from an unidentified male. Where the DNA came from, what the evidence is, why they care. I I, I can only imagine uh, that they they have that information and. You know, um, I, 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 I have to I have to lean on them to then share the rest of the story when 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 they think it's appropriate. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an active investigation. My guess is that they uh, they they probably know more than they told me, but you know, it's appropriate and it makes sense for them to 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 follow their process and how they uh, investigate and roll out information. Is it common for them to tell you the gender of the DNA sample that they're giving you? Sometimes they know. Sometimes they don't. Um, I, I mean. We, we'll figure out the gender pretty quickly. Well, it's not the gender, it's the biological sex, but we'll figure out, we'll figure out the biological sex pretty quickly, right? I mean, there's, 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 you know, biologically speaking, there'll be two X chromosomes, there'll be an X and a Y. And one of the first things we do in QC is, is we look at that ratio um, between X and Y. And so if there's, you know, a one-to-one -one ratio of X and Y, then then it's probably a biological male. And and this question is uh, specifically for Lou and for Greg. They've been dying to ask this question. They um they want to know if you work with psychics a lot because they feel like science and psychics go hand in hand. They're big supporters of psychics. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. They absolutely hate psychics. Well, whether you're kidding or not, as I said originally, um. I'm a, I'm a one-trick pony. All I've ever done is DNA testing. So I like to stay in my lane, and I like to get people facts with uh, DNA. Um, I, I would like to think that uh, that our uh, our methods are more reproducible and objective. But, uh, but yeah, you're, <laughs> we, we'll pull information from DNA, and then, and then, and then you guys are, um, you know, the law enforcement folks are then able to take that information and do whatever they want with it. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's probably a lot. I mean, look, when a case goes cold, there's, I mean, I don't know. If, if it was my situation, I would try any and all methods. But I think I think if you are, can be afforded an opportunity to get unbiased information from a from a crime scene, then then you have to do it. You know, search CODIS, search using our method, um, you know, whatever you've got, facial reconstructions. You know, so, some of those you never know either. I mean, this Rodney Johnson guy, I keep bringing him up because it's just a, such a hard case. They, they didn't know anything about him. 
they had his body, but they couldn't figure out, you know, they, they had drawn him as a, as a, as a white guy, a uh, biracial guy, um, you know, uh, they tried a, a four different renditions of him. And, um, but, you know, I got to tell you, it's really powerful because when you do DNA testing, we knew exactly what, you know, where he was from. He was, you know, we, we knew exactly his uh, ancestry. We were able to make a better ascertainment of ethnicity and, and move, move things forward. So, um, I mean, there, there are people that'll try to imagine what someone might look like with their face. I, I don't know. I don't know which methods work or don't work. All I know is we stick to DNA. It's what we're good at. It's literally the only product we offer, and that's all we do. Hats off to you! It's uh, fantastic work that you're doing. It's ten past the. Uh, it's ten past the hour, um, and uh, I'm wondering though we we have uh, we have Michelle in the um, in the chat area. Michelle has joined, and Michelle just took a trip. Hey, Michelle, uh, she just took a trip to uh, the Black Lantern area. Hey guys, hi Bruce. I haven't seen Bruce in forever, but they've also been like making me work too much at my job. But so what actually had happened, and this was, this was kind of unexpected. So I was speaking to Josh Hallmark from the true crime BS podcast, who's been, you know, for anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast, um, he's been doing a deep dive and investigation into the serial killer Israel keys and trying to take a victim based approach to identify and find keys as victims. So he wanted to see a couple of different sites. And one of the places he wanted to see was you were up in the Vermont area throughout this like 17 hour two-day road trip where we were mostly dry i was mostly driving i should say it was like the podcast chauffeur the weekend we took a horrifying ferry ride from upstate new york like across to vermont jillian might know what i'm talking about um it was not the highlight of my day but once we got there you know we're just driving through this area and i never been there before and just to, you know, because I didn't know, like, when I had first told Josh, I was like, yeah, I'll come with you. I don't want you to go by yourself. I didn't know he wanted to go to Vermont. And it wasn't so much that, you know, at the time, we really thought that there was going to be some kind of, like, wild connection or anything that we were going to find. But for me, it was very personal because I feel like ever since I read Brianna's story when I was in grad school, like, in 2004, um, you know, all the way to today, working with PIs for the and meeting Bruce and working with all of, of you guys. Um, you know, I, I did want to, I did want to see, you know, where the area was. And for me, it was a very emotional experience. And, you know, like you just stand there and it's just so quiet and so vast. And it was like a bit of a you know, I guess like for me, that was the most emotional part of the trip, just being able to say like, you know, I was standing in the same place where Brianna might have been. It made me feel a lot closer to her story. And this being her birthday today, you know, it made me think of it more that, you know, she would, you know, who she would be today. Um, and I appreciated having that chance, like during the, during the trip to do that and, you know, see that area. And it really gave me some perspective and even more of, I was looking for some renewed energy because I was getting a little burnt out with, with work, with everything. And, you know, that, that did it for me. 
So I'm really glad I got to go. Yeah. And you weren't really expecting to go, right? This was something that something that Josh kind of dropped on you the way Josh typically does. He'll just drop something on you. But I um... know he's such a monster. <laughs> no, um, he was, you know, there were there were some places that, you know, he was he was looking at and we took um, we took like a real. We, we went to, you know, a handful of places that he's associated, you know, with things in, in his podcast. And, um, you know, I didn't know that we were going to Vermont. There was actually a completely separate case that we were trying to, um, to, to look into, but just, you know, time and energy just didn't allow for it at the time. Um, there was another like missing young man who, um, who disappeared from, I want to say Battleboro. I might be saying that wrong, um, but we didn't actually get up to that that point before, you know, we both realized like we're getting tired, it's getting dark and, you know, it's time to head back home. Um, so yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting, you know, he said, you know, since we're going through this area, you know, let's, let's stop. And, you know, I didn't realize how emotional it was going to be until, until we got there. And you went to the uh, black lantern as well. They weren't open, but you're in the parking lot. What was the, uh, what was the feelings there? It's, you know, I said this to Josh when we were, when, when we were driving, you know, I spent a huge part of my career, um, you know, standing in people's final places, you know, as an ADA, you know, doing homicide investigations for a large part of my career. And, you know, that those places really have a lot of, they have a lot of impact. They hold a lot of energy. They hold a lot of memory. And it was, you know, I felt like if I if I stood there for long enough, you know, maybe I would see her through the window. You know, I saw like the window of the kitchen. And I was like, maybe if I stood there long enough, I would see her. But well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And, and it's you can like the 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 emotion that you're going through. I'm it's it's hard to describe, right? It's hard to describe why you'd be feeling emotion like that for somebody that you have never met. And it's it's there's so many of these people, you know. Like, I think I think it's like the it's like the buildup of all the people, right? And it's just sort of personified into into one moment there. I think we all see a little bit of ourselves in the people that we want to help, the people that, you know, whose cases we're investigating in the work that we do. So I, I think that's why it that that's why it it's so you know, I didn't I never felt this way when, you know, I was doing my job when I was, you know, going to scenes or I was going to, you know, scenes with cold cases, um, I never felt that way. But I think with this kind of work, everybody who's here in this chat room, you know, everybody has, you know, a case that they remember, a story that they remember, a person that they remember, you know, Jason has the, you know, Brandon Lawson and, you know, for me now it's become Brianna's case. And, you know, all of us have this, we, ha- we feel like we have this connection because we see a little bit of ourselves in these people that we want to find and we want to help. Yeah, good good point. And, and we want to make sure that this does not go uh, unmentioned. Uh, in 1976, on this day, October 8th, was when uh, Trini Gibson was abducted. That's the day that she went missing. 
uh, and she went missing in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. Uh, maybe on August 17th, we will do a commemorative episode because that is her birthday, August 17th uh, in 1960. So maybe we'll start celebrating, not celebrating, uh, bad word again, we'll start commemorating those days, the birthdays, instead of the, um, you know, the, the tragic days. But the tragic days do need to be recognized, but the birthdays do need to be honored. Susie, I see that honoring. Yeah, that's a much better word. Yeah, well said. Thank you so much, Bruce, for for spending this uh, this evening with us and uh, and sharing a bit and uh, and hearing a, a, a bit about this uh, this new development. Yeah, I'm excited to see what uh, what happens. Uh, I think I'm probably looking at a two month time frame before any results come in, but uh, I, I'm sure looking forward to hearing what's going to happen. Yeah, thanks, guys, for highlighting all that it's uh yeah it's great to have him on when you when you hear his enthusiasm you you know they're going to do a good job yeah he he seems like the guy i mean the guy was still at his uh lab you know he took time out to do this he's going to pop back in to do his work um hopefully in that two-month period something happens hopefully this goddamn year of 2020 can end with something positive coming from uh his lab Uh, you know that would be awesome um but if not, then we'll obviously wait and work on this uh, even harder. Wow. Well, uh, well, thank you so much. Oh, and uh, Michelle wrote wrote a um, a blog for Bree's birthday last year, and there's a link in the uh, in in the chat room. Thank you, Jillian, for posting that. Um, so make sure to check that out. And thank you so much uh, to everyone for for joining us here. We will be back next week, next Thursday night, 9 p.m. here on Get Vocal, 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, again, thank you so much. What a, what an inspiring evening. Yeah, for sure. And I, I got to say, we we didn't even. This is how this is how absolutely amazing the group is in this uh, in our True Crime Thursdays. Uh, you guys are fucking incredible. We didn't even know that this was going to turn into something that was going to raise money to directly uh, impact Brianna's case. But that that uh, DNA solve started off at like one thousand eight hundred and fifty or something, and it's it's almost at twenty one hundred right now. Like in in like yeah, it's at two thousand sixty four. Like you guys are you guys are friggin' unbelievable. Yeah, Jillian, it was at it was at fifteen hundred like right around 1500 this morning so just keep spreading the word it's really not a lot of money <laughs> yeah keep sharing or it's almost there almost halfway there so uh we'll keep sharing we'll donate and uh and we'll release this audio and hopefully that will help as well and uh and again just want to thank you to everyone uh thank you bruce thank you michelle thank you david Othram, thank you lou and greg jillian and happy birthday brianna and it's okay to celebrate the first 17 years of her life, you know? It's okay. So, there's, there's nothing wrong with that word. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. 
Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.